sometimes you do shows and people show out and sometimes you do shows and people don't show out. And I think it's more of a measuring stick of like where I am in my career. You're listening to Social Misfit. What's going on, Misfits? I've been watching a lot of Whitney Houston videos on Twitter. You know, like there's always those um, those fan accounts, like the best of Whitney or Whitney 2020 to forever. And, um, and there was a video of her behind the scenes. It's during one of her concerts and she was doing a quick change. So she's backstage, like in a little tent, changing her outfit, putting the finishing touches on her makeup. So she's applying lipstick while somebody's fastening her collar and a song starts and she's singing. And Bobby Brown is just holding the microphone up to her mouth. And she starts singing, Friday night you and your boys went out to eat. Whoa, whoa. And while she's doing, whoa, whoa, uh, she is applying lipstick to her lips. And six of y'all went out, huh? And four of you were really cheap. As she's like fixing her bangs. Because on the two of y'all had dinner, I found your credit card receipt. And by this point, she's like running up to the stage. Eh, hey, hey, it's not right. And they do like the dance club mix. What's up, y'all? How we doing? Yes, I'm here. I'm back. I know, right? Two weeks in a row. I need a, an award. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am back home in Brooklyn, New York. And I just returned this morning from Los Angeles, where I wrapped up the West Coast part of my book tour. And I learned so much. I learned a lot about the book tour world. I learned a lot about the comedy club world. I mean, I knew a lot already about comedy club, but it's just like how you apply it. So this experience overall, working on my book tour with the thanks, uh, with the thankfully with the help of my manager, Marlene, Marlene Vigil, she went above and beyond to get me booked at some comedy clubs. And so basically when I said that I wanted to do a book tour, you know, in your mind, you get a book deal, you have a book publisher and they're going to like send you on this whirlwind book tour. Like that's just Hollywood. They don't do that unless you are a big, 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 big name like Michelle Obama, who's going to sell out stadiums stadiums let's get into that she sold out stadiums and her book is still in the top 10 bestsellers list so if you have someone big like that of course they're gonna fly you out you're gonna get hair makeup they're gonna you know make sure your uh your writer's popping you got your your bowl of red m&ms and your bowl of green m&ms they're gonna make sure you thrive and you good to go out there and talk about your book and promote it but that's like maybe one percent of the the book authors who get that treatment. But if you're in a situation like me, first time author book, you know, book is a moderate, like a moderate deal. It's not like this is not a six figure deal. I didn't, you know, I didn't get million millions of dollars to write this book, but you know, on the humble, a good, strong first debut entry into the world of books. Yeah, you still got to do your own book tour. So my manager and Marlene and I sat and we discussed it and I wrote out, you know, a cork board with all of my lists and where I want to do. And I just put down the cities and we made it work. Right. So I said I wanted to do New York, which I did. Uh, D.C., Boston. I'm just reading the list of the cities that are currently still on my cork board. So it was New York, D.C., Boston, Philly, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, L.A., San Francisco. And out of my wish list, I was able to make 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those happen. So no, wait, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, six, seven of those happen. Um, haven't done anything in Dallas, Atlanta, or Houston yet. Even when I was doing my shows in Philly and DC, uh, or well, my book talk in Philly and my show in DC. Um, I had people like, well, when are you coming to Charlotte? When you come into this place? You know, so give me other cities that I want to definitely add to my list. And so what I did was I did a mix of books, bookstores, and comedy clubs. And when you're in a position like me, yes, I've been doing comedy 10 years. Yes, I've been on television. Yes, I have credits. Yes, I have an album out. Yes, I now have a book out. But that's not enough. If you don't have a certain amount of followers on social media, Clubs are reluctant to book you because they equate followers online with people showing up and seeing you. And for a long time, a lot of us in the industry would like to dispute that, like, no, it shouldn't matter how many followers is what you can do on stage. But let me tell you something, having gone out on the road to promote my book and having had to cancel shows, well, one show having to cancel one show because I did not have ticket sales, I can tell you now with clarity and understanding that followers opens doors. The amount of people that you have who follow your your accounts across all mediums opens doors. And so what happens is they see that you have, let's say over 20,000 followers, right? then that means, okay, well, that person will be a draw. So that's the club's point of view. There'll be a draw, 20,000 people like this person. They're averaging a couple, a couple, you know, high hundreds into the thousands likes in, you know, multiple comments. Like this is somebody who we can get to put our club on their timeline and people will come out. That's part one. The other part is the popularity that the audience member who doesn't know you is attracted to. So if I go on my my local comedy club's website or if I follow them on social media and I see that they posted you, then I go to your page and I see 20,000 followers. I'm like, oh, wow, shit, I'm out the loop. This person's popping and I didn't know nothing about them. Let me definitely check them out so I can see what I've been missing. Because the reality is we all like to be Christopher Columbus. We all like to act like we discovered some shit that never existed before. But really, that's your way of being like, see, I'm in the loop. I'm in a loop. I know about this shit, too. Listen, I knew about it before you. Right. So I had to cancel a show because I don't have 20,000 followers. I'm close to 10,000. And even that wouldn't have helped in the situation because I was in Los Angeles. So last week I went to, I went from, I drove to Philly on Tuesday for a book signing at Uncle Bobby's bookstores. Shout out to Mark Lamont Hill. It was a really great conversation. I enjoyed my host um, who was, you know, read the book and really had really pointed questions. And she's also a comedian. Her last name is Dukes, Dookie. I'm forgetting her first name, but her last name is Dookie. I, I'm going to make sure I tag her in the section so you can check her out and support her. Support funny women. So that was in Philadelphia. And then me and my best friend drove from Philly to D.C. where I did, woke up and did morning, morning, local morning news. Uh, Good morning, Washington. 
And that evening I had a show at the DC Comedy Loft and that was, you know, packed out and so much fun and lots of folks who I hadn't seen in forever from like high school came out. So I was very grateful. And then that following morning, I woke up and flew to LA with the intention of doing press. I did the Young Turks Thursday afternoon and then Thursday evening, I was going to do a 10 o'clock show at Typewriter Dynasty. And I was excited and I was hopeful and I knew, I knew that the ticket sales was low and I was working all angles. I had some, you know, really, uh, really great people who with massive followings who posted, reposted, tweeted, put the fly on an Instagram story, shared the link, did the swipe up and everything. And even that wasn't enough. And it was a real turning point for me because it's very easy to bitch and moan and complain and say all oh, the people they don't support us and da 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 da, which is true in many instances. But this time I had to take full responsibility, and I actually, you know, in an attempt to get like people to buy tickets in advance, because that's really what it was. People just weren't buying tickets in advance, and a venue isn't going to take that gamble, especially on a ten o'clock night show. Like they have to pay for people to be there and everything. So hold on, that's not what I'm trying to do. See. I mean, I went into this thing being like, I'm gonna just go right through it. I don't want to have to add anything. And then of course, I'm trying to show y'all what I read. I mean, what I wrote about the cancellation of my show on LA and I'm on fucking IG story and people shit is just talking nonstop. Um, okay, canceled. And I still have the post up. It has 144 likes, 45 likes. And I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to keep it up. And because it's just a part of my story. Like, I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, the you know, the weather, we had to reschedule or, you know, the lights was out. Like, I'm not going to do all of that. Like, this is a part of my journey. Um, sometimes you do shows and people show out and sometimes you do shows and people don't show out. And I think it's more of a measuring stick of like where I am in my career that I need. Like, what? Okay, let me just read the caption. This is my social media post. Chloe? Will you please read us your social media posts for this episode of Social Misfit Podcast? Thanks for all the tags on the last video. Sidebar, I made a video the day before trying to encourage people to get their tickets online. But LA and I couldn't see eye to eye this go round. I take the full responsibility. I should have asked for help promoting and given the city of Angels ample time to set its calendar. You live and learn. Anywho, buy my book as a keepsake. You always got to plug the book. Uh, shout out to Fuck Your Diet Week 2. So I did not think about how unique LA was. And I know how L- I know how LA is. I know how people operate there. I knew that. But I just was so inundated with everything else going on with my book tour, all the other cities and, you know, booking all my travel and ordering T-shirts which got fucked up by the way. And I had to return all of them. Uh, so shout out to no merchandise. Um, um, there was a, other little hiccups, things that just came up, you know, just things that came up that things that always come up and you just have to prepare yourself for emotionally and, and mentally. So, you know, I was just like, okay, checking one thing off. Okay. Got that done. Okay. Okay. Right before LA is DC. Okay. Boom. I got to DC. I, I you know, posted that thing. I'm going to do this media. Okay. Doom. Okay. Ne- so I was doing it in chronological order. And, you know, now I know that you cannot do 
do that when it comes to certain certain meat certain markets you have to give them 150 percent and you have to give them ample time and also the thing about LA it's Hollywood it's a Hollywood mentality and a lot of times people don't invest or commit to something until it's like absolutely the most buzziest thing and and you know they want a Christopher Columbus and be like oh I've been to about that and then they show up and you know because they know it's now it's, now it's going to be a who's who and what's what and you know where were you when this happened and you have to have a story or else you're obsolete so that happened I canceled my canceled one of my shows in LA but I'll be back in LA and trust and believe when I'm back in LA y'all motherfuckers gonna know I'm in LA all right uh, I'm gonna ha- I'm yes I'm gonna be in a position where I don't even have to question and it reminded me of Ali Wong. So Ali Wong is a comedian and also now a book author and you know her, she had a movie on Netflix called always be my maybe. And so she's an Asian American comedian. And she said, she said, I don't know if she said it in the press or in one of her specials. She's has, she has two specials. She's pregnant in both of them on Netflix. So that also may help you remember or recognize who I'm talking about. So she said that when she was taping her first special on Netflix, that she couldn't get people to buy tickets, not even buy tickets, like the tickets were free. And I don't know if they were free, maybe you had to buy them, but either way, people were not grabbing tickets. And so they put them on like Groupon and they's like, yeah, so I guess they charged. So they put them on Groupon and they slashed the, you know, slashed the ticket price. And she was begging people to come, like begging for people to come to her Netflix special taping. And she had two shows and, you know, it was filled out or it looked like it was filled out on our end. And then when the special hit, like, boom, wildfire, everybody's clamoring for her. She's getting all these deals. She's getting all these movie roles. She's, you know, selling out theaters all over the country, doing limited tours and selling out every single event, you know. So it's just it's just like that's just some people's journey. And. I mean, how on brand would it be for that to be my journey? If especially if you've read any of my book, like yeah, I am the little engine that could while I'm big, but you know, I'm the person that just like head down, persevere. Like, what's the next thing? Check it off. Okay, boom. That, and the next thing you know, I can like turn around and look back and be like, oh, see, look, I accomplished these things. And so, I I understand that this is a part of my journey. And also another thing, my brother pointed out. He was, you know, consoling me, but I was, he, my brother's a very uh, supportive person. He's very sensitive and, you know, just understanding. And he just, he's a big encourager. So he was just giving me words of encouragement. I wasn't like somewhere crying. Um, but I was just thinking about the last time I did cry and I was about to say, oh, I haven't cried in a while. And I was like, I'm lying. My first therapy session, which was like the end of last year, uh, boohoo. Like she said, hi, welcome to therapy. And I was like, <gasps> and just cried the whole, the whole first session with my, my brand new therapist. I mean, years of tears just like fell out. Like I didn't cry right in the book. I didn't cry. Like, you know, I've lost friends recently, nothing, but like sat down on that couch. I don't know what was in the air, but honey, I was snuffleupagus sniffing up tears anyway um and so my brother told me like well chloe maybe this is a a 
realization that you need to focus more on Los Angeles. Like you've done a lot in New York City. You've had, you know, you headline Gotham. That's kind of like a, a pivotal moment, like a full circle moment for you. You, you know, you have your audience, you know, you can perform any night of the week in New York City and it's not a challenge anymore. He said, maybe this is a reality check that you need to be where you need to be. You need to be in a space now where you can grow and learn and make new relationships and, and get that thing that you have in New York. Cause like right now me being in New York, is just like, it's just home base, you know, it's home base and, and it's not really challenging. And I know the next step of my career is to, you know, give LA more attention. I don't know what that means and what capacity yet, but I do know that I'm going to spend more time going out there working and building relationships. And I have projects that I'm writing things that I'm in pitches with and, you know, in the middle of selling. And so, yeah, I need to give it some attention. And I think a lot of times we have to do that in other things. I know that my viewpoint is always like entertainment and media and I'm trying to do a better job of becoming a more well-rounded person and someone who has a social life outside of people within entertainment and comedy. But I do think a lot of times in life, in general, people will find an, uh, they will meet an obstacle. So in this case, the obstacle was me and this Los Angeles show, right? Now I took it for granted. I took it for granted, like, okay, well, I'm able to do this in other places. So I need to treat this out. I'm treating it the same way, which was a mistake because I didn't do the work and I didn't really get a breakdown of what the consumer base was in Los Angeles. And I treated it like something else. And that's a mistake. If I, if I was a business, like if I was like a brick and mortar business with services that were being printed, shipped, set, sold, I would have lost because I had not done the market research to understand how people consume in Los Angeles. So that's my responsibility. Right. And a lot of times people will have a failure like that. And they were like, see, I knew I should have never did that. I knew I I knew better. I, I played myself. I should have sat my ass at home and I ain't gonna never do that. Yeah, I ain't gonna never catch me like that again. I ain't gonna never do that again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work around everywhere around but that place that I felt did me wrong or didn't show up for me. And a lot of times you could look at your life and be like, yeah, I, I did that because I was afraid. I was afraid of failing again or I wasn't committed to, I wasn't committed enough to do all the work that I needed to do to create to to um correct the error that I had done previously. And so in that moment when I was having a conversation with my brother, I realized this is a teachable moment. I need to apply this philosophy to every aspect of my life, you know, everything needs everything needs your attention. But you need to know in order to work effectively and see the results that you need or want to see, you need to adjust. And and I think that's where I am right now. It's like I'm just making adjustments. I'm making subtle adjustments so that I can improve on who I am, so that I can have the quality of life that I would like to have. I'm, you know, I know I literally just turned 39, but I'm already thinking of like 40 and where I want my life to be at 40. So that was a lesson that I had last week, um, which is a loss is not a resolution. You know, um, speaking of taking an L, I watched 
the majority of Tyler Perry's A Fall from Grace. I think there was maybe like 14 minutes left and I already knew how it was going to end. Like, and I knew how it was going to end because of black Twitter and people were posting like snippets because they were live tweeting the movie when it debuted, like the first night out. So I already knew the plot twist and I just, I just wanted to see how it got to that point. Cause that was not clear when people were uh, critiquing it or bashing it basically on social media. So I was like, let me watch. And I was staying at my friend Miles house in LA and we were just like, let's order some food and watch it. Cause people have been talking about it so much. And it was one of those things like, well, I just need to see it for myself. Maybe it's not all that they're saying that it is. If you notice, I'm trying to be very diplomatic with my words, okay? Because a check is a check. And who doesn't like checks? So I'm being very Michael Jordan, uh, Republicans buy sneakers too. Right? Right. Was it? Was that the direct quote? But you know what I'm talking about. Anywho, um, the movie had a lot of flaws, a lot of plot holes, um, a lot of bad wigs and very static dialogue. That is my critique. But within it, it, it would just tickle me so. And so we were sitting on the couch and we were watching. It was a part where it's on my social media. If you look on my Twitter or my Instagram timeline, I had made an IG story video of me watching it like this one particular part. And it just dawned on me as he was laying in her bed in her house, telling her that he wanted an ashtray after she was, she realized that he helped her or he's the reason why she lost her job. Yeah. I told you, yes, I know it sounds like I said a lot about the movie, but like, that's not even, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. Okay. He's sitting in her bed shirtless with a cigarette and I just saw him and I saw all the rings on his fingers. And I was like, y'all, if you ever go out with a man with rings on his fingers, like every finger, he's going to ruin your life. Like legit, he's going to ruin your life. And it was so funny because it's so true. Like it was just a moment I looked at the screen. I was like, oh yeah. How did she not see that he was going to, he got a ring on every finger. If you date somebody who has a ring, not even on every finger, but the majority of their fingers, let me let you know something. That person legit has like problems. Like I'm not, I hate to generalize, but like they got problems like that. That jewelry is like holding them together in some way. Like, like, you know how, um, you know how like those witches and like those like princess movies, like they were like a locket to like hide who they really were. Like it was the mask, even that woman in, um, what is a movie on HBO, but the two guys who never wrote a television show before, but got like several seasons and hundreds of millions of dollars, but they won't give greenlit projects to people of color who've proven resumes that they could do it. What's that movie? And it had dragons in it. What's the movie? Oh, Game of Thrones. There you go. Uh, there was a witch in that in that show too that had like a locket that kept her young. So that's my theory. Whenever somebody has rings on all their fingers, those rings like are conjured in black magic, and they are restraining the monster that they are 
they're keeping them under lock and key and those rings are they're like they're like handcuffs they're handcuffs for the demons inside because let me tell you something if a person has rings on all their fingers they got a dark history they got a dark past they was doing some illegal shit and they passed they used to i'm telling you i'm telling you they were disruptive they were a disruptive disruptive spirit on this here plane of existence and those rings ooh. Those rings tell you all you need to know. If you with somebody right now and they got rings on most of their fingers, run, escape as soon as you can. I cannot stress this enough. Okay, I'm telling you, the only thing worse than someone who has rings on all their fingers is someone who has multiple mugshots and is is eager to tell you why they got arrested every single time like that it's on that level of like fuckery like damn you really just out here being an unsavory citizen in this world so escape those rings drop them like a bad habit ladies and gentlemen speaking of bad habits I don't know why I'm trying to do uh, transitions, but speaking of bad habits, because I'm trying not to edit anymore, because like when I edit, it just gets me in this like perfectionist thing and I and I end up holding up my productivity. So you're going to get a transition because I'm trying to make all of these stories linked together. That's still me having some control. Jeff Bezos got hacked on his WhatsApp by the Saudi prince, the same Saudi prince that had uh, a Saudi American journalist killed and chopped up in an embassy and, and his pieces smuggled out and then turned around and let the people who he told to do that get convicted for murder. But he hadn't said that he was involved or not, but the people who work for you got right. So that dude met Jeff Bezos last year and they kikied and, oh, I'm rich and you rich and we rich together and fuck everybody else. <laughs> right. And he's like, yo, fam, let me get your number. The Saudi prince to Jeff Bezos was like, yo, fam, let me get your number. You know, we out here doing corrupt things. You look like you corrupt. And he was like, I am corrupt. You know, I be buying, getting people their packages in 24 hours, but they don't ever ask me how it's made. It's like, you know, it's like the sausage. Like you don't ever want to, people don't want to know how the sausage is made. They just want their sausage. So I'm out here, you know, doing white collar crimes in America and getting cities to rezone their districts and funnel money to me so I can build more factories. And you over here chopping down dissidents. Yeah. What's your number, fam? And they exchanged numbers. And now it is clear that the Saudi prince, and I think it's MBH, MHB, whatever. He uh he hacked Jeff Bezos. He hacked Jeff Bezos via WhatsApp, which is supposed to be impenetrable, via WhatsApp and from his own personal number. So that means he he legit either knows how to hack or he has somebody tapped into his line hacking on his phone people in his whatsapp now that's crazy and it's so absurd because they're gonna be like oh jeff was a victim it's like but why are you why are you mm -mm, why are you exchanging information with a known killer but see money is truly the root of all evil and when you amass that much wealth, I truly believe your perspective changes. So like whenever I hear someone say, oh, I'm trying to be a billionaire, that means like, oh, you don't give a fuck about people. Like 
you just can't like I, I just there are very few instances of people becoming millionaires where like human right human rights violations or like you know dirty money or money laundering or like just like you know cutting up cutting the the middleman out or the the lower man on the totem pole like ditching them kicking them to the you know stealing people's plans like there's very few instances of people becoming billionaires where they have not infringed on someone else's success or happiness or or livelihood just very very few so whenever i hear somebody say whenever i hear somebody say oh i want to be a billionaire or they're trying to be a billionaire and and they try to frame it as like a successful thing to aspire to i hear just like oh that person's probably a psychopath like or sociopath like for sure that person is devoid of empathy and is all about themselves and they don't give a fuck about anybody else and those are not characteristics that I want to be around so when I hear that one billionaire got duped by another billionaire I'm like fucking good get them but then I'm also like well shit what is what's up with the technology like Jeff out here just talking on a boost mobile phone like how you how your phone be hacked this long and clearly, if your phone was hacked this long and now the press knows about it, like, this is when it all, when it all falls down. I'm like, damn, should I pay off my uh, my student loan debt or should I just like see if this shit evaporates like motherfucking Mr. Robot? When it all, when it all falls down. When you be mad if you just paid off like your credit card bill and then that shit get wiped out the next day by hackers. Yeah, I'd be pissed as shit, yo. I'd be so fucking mad. I'd be so mad. I would. I'd be so mad. It's just like the same way I feel like if I finally found out that I couldn't have kids and that all of these years I could have just been fucking raw dog. I'd be pit. Well, I mean, you know, STDs notwithstanding, but just like in the back of your mind, like in a committed relationship, you're like, man, I ain't got to take no fucking plan B pill. I'm out here just wasting $49 all the time. I could have just been living my life free, free of, you know, free of motherhood because confirmed you know infertility or some shit i would have lived a different life if i if i knew like you know in retrospect if i knew that i couldn't have kids i'm not saying i can't have kids i'm just saying like that's the same type of level of frustration i'd be like damn i was out here doing the right thing and it fucking ain't was no point to it hackers if y'all out there and you listening to me uh just let me know if you're gonna wipe debt like let me know specifically like let me know leo chloe next tuesday we about to like wipe out all american express debt and i'll be like oh my god that's crazy because my billing cycle ends next tuesday y'all just looked out for a girl just let me know that's all i'm saying so jeff bezos you're a fucking idiot and um the saudi prince is a stone cold killer and everybody knows it and so i love to see how they try to spin this don't you make it fucking jeff bezos no victim okay he out there doing shady things so that's what the fuck he gets that's the fuck he gets (sighs) last but not least just a little old to new york city um i love new york city i'm definitely getting tired of it i don't like the idea of having to ride the trains i don't like the idea of being around a shit ton of people and people coughing and shit and, and trains being delayed that's not my that's not my zhuzh anymore but i did see a video today 
And it made me very nostalgic about the old New York. Apparently, a bunch of graffiti artists got together and they tagged up a train. I mean, they tagged up the whole entire train. I mean, they tagged up the train from the Ruta to the Tuta to the point where I was like, where was y'all at that nobody saw y'all tagging this train up? Because this is hours worth of work. I mean, they got from the top of the train, like the top of the car to the side to the bottom with the wheels. It's like they was out there with scaffolding. Ain't no way you just freehanding and covering up no motherfucking 10, 7 to 10 train cars. I don't know how many train cars in the train, but all of them motherfuckers was covered. So if you look on Twitter, uh, Questlove, I think he put it on his IG uh, page and he raised a good point because he was like, this is beautiful to me. This is art. Like, you know. I think they should commission graffiti artists to actually do this because, you know, next thing you know, it'll be like Nike with a whole Nike check on the side of the A train and they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. And motherfucking MTA will accept that shit then because now they're making money for it. And I think a lot of times we love to dismiss grassroots art because we don't see a value to it. But as soon as you attach a value to it now, it's okay. It's acceptable, you know, like poor people in America, like, you know, during slavery times, but not the slaves, but like poor people in America, they ate lobster because that's what they could catch off the shores, you know, the, of the Eastern border shores. They ate lobster. The poor people would set lobster traps and eat lobster because that was the only protein they could get. And then all of a sudden the rich people was like, mm, this is delicious. And then they made it like an exclusive food and they charge, you know, an arm and a leg for it. So it's like, yeah, you don't value something until you, you see that there's, money value in it and all the time and every single time that value that money value is an agreed upon value it's not I mean unless it's like no even if it was like a diamond or any or anything like that that diamond is that price because people agreed that it should be that price you know so a lot of times we don't value art and I do hope that in some spaces we will allow graffiti artists to shine because it brings something to the city like everything is fucking gray everything is gray and glass that's all New York is right now gray and glass all of these multi high-rise buildings most of them which are empty because they're being bought by offshore accounts who are money funneling and washing their money in this country and they leave the shits vacant and you have a homeless problem just like you have in San Francisco side fucking bar I was in San Francisco on Saturday for the sketch fest wonderful wonderful festival everybody who worked there was nice I was only there one night I drove up from LA five hours because I'm a G and I did four shows Saturday night and then I drove back to LA on Sunday I was actually about to say drove back home but drove back to LA 40 and slip and I was shocked shocked not amazed just shocked about how fucking ghetto San Francisco is ghetto okay and the thing that pissed me off and the reason why I had to tell every single body every single show that I was on I I did these two little bits because they were fresh and they were real and it was raw and it happened so first thing I get to my hotel in San Francisco they're charging like $250 a night because it's a festival and it's San Francisco so it's even more money and I'm like okay fine I have to come and do these shows you know so i booked my hotel room a couple months ago maybe maybe like two three months ago and I get there and I found street parking so I literally was about to pull into the parking garage at the hotel but it said $40 a night and I remember that I was already paying $250 
thank you. It's 11 o'clock. Um, I remember that I was already, I remember that I was already paying $250. I remember that I was already paying $250 and I was like, I'm not about to pay another $40. So I found street parking and I looked at the signs and it said you could park here. And I'm like, good street parking. Boom, right out in front. Boom. So I go inside and a, and a man at the front desk checking me and it was like, Hey, so are you going to, do you want to, he didn't talk like that. Not at all. But he was like, hello, ma'am. Would you like to, would you be parking a car with us to, this evening? And I was like, Oh no, I found street parking. And legit. He was like, Mm, yeah you might want to take all the valuables out of your car I'm just saying and I wanted to be like what the fuck are you saying like they breaking into cars they breaking into cars where y'all charging $250 a night for a hotel that don't even sound right you can't have high prices for hotel rates and high crime that's not how the fucking injustice system works out my nigs like no if you got high crime then your hotel rates need to be low Okay, because there's a threat. There's a personal threat to my my property being in your bring being in your building and your establishment, and it needs to be reflected in the cost, the value of your establishment. In what world is you gonna tell me that they breaking into cars outside of a hotel and then charging two hundred fifty dollars? In what world does that make sense? I was like, well, this is get this is ghetto. Like how are y'all even normalizing the crime? So San Francisco has a really big issue with homelessness, with like working the working poor, people who work and still can't afford to live in San Francisco and people who have been there for generations and cannot afford to live in San Francisco. No, I have not watched The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I'll do it when I feel like it. So there's an organization of moms, single moms, who have been taking over these vacant homes. And these homes have been bought by investment firms or or charity foundations. And they just flip them and make a profit. But then like nobody lives there. And some of these buildings that they've been squatting in, these houses are vacant, have been vacant for like a year or more, like multiple months, you know. And so it was, they were building traction and they got support from a lot of people. And I think they just got evicted out of the building because like, you know, the, the city stepped in or whatever, basically like appeasing to the people who have the money. And it's like, and in what world does it make sense that you have people who are homeless but are working and paying taxes and you can't advocate for them? Like, like we're fucked up. We're fucked up. So that was what annoyed me because it's like this city makes too much fucking money for y'all to be having these this with crime, with this problem with homelessness. And it's not that these people just want to be homeless. It's that they can't afford to fucking live here. And then when you become homeless, you succumb to other issues like alcoholism and drug addiction because what the fuck else are you supposed to do when you're living on a goddamn curb? And they have tent cities, right? So so I'm soaking in all of this, knowing this about like the moms trying to get their own homes and, you know, the working poor movement. So I knew So when he's telling me that I got to take the valuables out of my car, I was like, this place is fucking ghetto. Like, y'all, this shit is, should not be OK. This should not be OK. So then I get up to my room and I was like, well, let me just, you know, get on the Internet. Right. Because it's a nice hotel. Why was they charging $12.99 a night for internet? And I text my friends, Sydney and Marie. Shout out to the unofficial expert podcast. I just did an episode. It was really fun. Listen to it. But they were also in San Francisco to do a live version of their podcast. So 
I text them like, yo, why are they trying to charge me $12.99? Because we were already by this point talking about how ghetto the city was. I was like, why are they trying to charge me $12.99 for motherfucking internet? Like, they don't make that shit here for free. This is San Francisco. Y'all make the internet for fucking free. Okay? That's like going to Philly and getting tasty cakes every goddamn where because they make fucking tasty cakes in Philadelphia. Y'all make the fucking internet in San Francisco. You should not be charging me no $12.99. The city's ghetto. And I've been in San Francisco before. I was there when I was in college. I had one of my good friends. She went to Stanford and I went and I hung out with her and we went to San Francisco. And even back then I was like, oh, this city is dirty, which it was like, it was very, very dirty. Like, like if you've ever been to Rome in Italy, like that city is dirty as shit. So it's like on the level of like dirt, like, like just newspapers, like whole newspapers, just like blowing in the wind and the gutter, like, ooh, dirt and soot in the air, just gross. Right. So I was like, already San Francisco is kind of dirty. So I'm expecting it to be a little bit better, right? Over what the last damn near 20 years. And when I get there, it's fucking homeless tent cities, like homeless tent cities. And y'all make so much fucking money in this town and y'all cannot help the people who are homeless. So it, it, it gave me great joy to get on stage four times Saturday night. And on every fucking stage, I told them people today face, this city is fucking ghetto so that's been my last week and i'm about to wrap this up y'all this has been fun i'm not going to obsess over this episode i'm not going to nitpick it because i want to get it out because perfection is a waste of time thank you for listening i'll be back with another episode sooner than you think i appreciate you all if you haven't bought my book, check it out. Fuck your diet. Like I said, last episode, it's already got uh, a second print order, which means people are buying the book, y'all. I en- I value you for listening. I appreciate you all. Drop a comment. Let me know what's your favorite chapter of the book. Drop a comment. Let me know what city you like to see me attend uh, and do a comedy show or a book talk. And um, and yeah, I'm going to talk to you guys later. All right. Bye.